Well, good morning. It's so good to see you on this snowy day in Michigan, huh? Proud of you getting out. For those of you in person, some of you are watching online in your PJs with your coffee. You're warm. You're watching it snow. But these people, they got out. It's great to see you. If you're at our regional campuses, welcome and guests welcome. You can give them a hand. Way to go. It's great to see you. We are in this series called The Parables, and we are looking at the stories that Jesus told. And, you know, they're not just little cute stories. They're stories with deep poignancy and deep relevance to our lives, and not just the lives of people back then, to those of us who are alive here in the 21st century. It's like we're reading the front page of what our needs are as we read the stories of Jesus. He, he saw what was going on in the lives of people around him, and he told stories that captured the essence of the human experience as it relates to God's truth. And I'm being impacted by it. I hope you are as well. But as we look at this weekend's conversation, I think we just have to acknowledge reality in this world. It's so easy to value and to focus on all the wrong things. I mean, it is for me. I mean, I, I know what I want to value. I have for decades been seeking to make God's values my highest values and God my highest focus, but it's so easy to be deterred in that. It's so easy to get a couple clicks off, to get out of alignment without even seeing it. So it's easy to value and focus on the wrong things even when we desperately and genuinely care about living a good life, a God-honoring life, the right kind of life. And here's the problem. When we do value and focus on the wrong things, it causes us to miss what we really long for and we're looking for the most, God's fullness and the joy that he designed us for. And a great example of this, as Jesus shows us in this weekend's parable, is seen in money. Because often, money is one of the wrong things that people can focus on and value, thinking that it's going to lead them to happiness and joy and fullness. Often we think that, that that's what's missing, and if we had more of that, everything would be okay, especially in a world like ours right now. The inflation thing and the fuel thing, and we're hearing all about the desperate potential of economic dire circumstances, and it's so easy to get wrapped up in that and focus on that and value that and think that's what's going to make our lives more secure and complete, but in the end, focusing and valuing on that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It always comes up short. It, it reminds me of an old saying that seeks to rationalize away this reality, this problem. You've probably heard it. When, when you're uh, miserable, you can have this sense that money can't buy you happiness, but it sure can make misery more enjoyable. Have you heard that? Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I, it kind of has some resonance with my experience in life. You know, okay, life is pretty messy. Life can be pretty difficult. There can be a lot of trouble we face. There's a lot of misery, but, you know, better rich and miserable than poor and miserable, right? And you can, it can has resonance, but it's just, it really misses the point because here's the challenge. There's no such thing as enjoyable misery. I mean, if you're miserable, 
you're miserable. It doesn't matter how much you have, how much you can buy, what you can fill your life with, you're still miserable. And of course, this whole concept of focusing on and valuing the wrong things, things like money, isn't a new problem. It's been a problem since the beginning of time. It's ruined individual lives. It's ruined many a relationship. It's ruined families, and it's ruined and ruining our world. And because it's such a big problem, Jesus didn't ignore it. Jesus addressed this thing head on. He went right for it. This weekend's parable is the parable of the rich fool. Let's look at how he got into it and what the story is. Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. As he was teaching and walking around and doing ministry, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there we have it. A family focused on and valuing the wrong things. In this case, the inheritance, the money, what they're being left from their parents, what's rightfully theirs, and they have different views of that, and, and they're struggling. It's interesting, my dad was an attorney, mostly corporate and business law, but he handled a lot of wealthy clients and helped them put their estate planning together, and in so doing, he, he discovered that unless it was done really well, it broke families when the parents died because everybody went to war when there was any money involved, and it was such a bad thing. That's what's going on in this family right now. Jesus replied to this guy, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he looked up to the crowds that were around him, and he saw relevance to them, so he said to them, you need to watch out. Be careful about being caught up in what these guys are caught up in. Be careful about focusing on and vowing the wrong things. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, self-intent, selfishness, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This brother thought that his life would be better if he got what was rightfully his. This, this brother thought that his life would be happier his circumstances would be better if he just had more money. And Jesus says, man, oh man, don't get focused on that. Don't value that because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You can be rich and miserable or poor and miserable. There's more to life than that. And to explain it, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now I want you to notice that phrase. It didn't say the ground of a poor man finally created an abundant harvest. It says the ground of a what? Rich man. The guy was already rich. So the ground of a rich man produced such an abundant harvest that he became unbelievably more rich. And he thought to himself, talk about your focus and values getting off, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my already big and rich barns, and I'll build me some bigger, even richer ones, and there I will store all my wealth, my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've made it, you've arrived, life is good, fullness, happiness is yours, you'll have plenty of grain laid up for many years, so take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> but then God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be, Jesus says, as he looks around everybody finishing that parable. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus is saying everybody's spending their lifeblood to get rich in the wrong way. You need to be rich toward God. So think about this story. One day, the rich fool was the envy of the world. They were reading about him in the Wall Street Journal Weekend magazine. They were reading about him in People magazine. They were reading about him in all the places where you read about people like him. Envy of the world. And the next day, he was dead. Who was envying him then? So we live our whole lives to be like people that when they die, we don't envy anymore. There's nothing that reveals the temporary nature and limitations of money and wealth like a funeral. Nothing defines it better. In my lifetime, many of yours as well, I think of someone like Steve Jobs. If you don't know who Steve Jobs was, he's the guy that was really behind the leadership of the development of the iPhone. So many of you have the Steve Jobs thing in your pocket. You have a smartphone, an iPhone. Now, some of you have stupid phones, Androids, but that's a whole different phone. So, I mean, Steve Jobs invented that. That's so old, but it works every single time because it's true. All right, so Steve Jobs, a billionaire, a billionaire, world-renowned, world-respected, biographies this thick being written about him, dead at 56. He couldn't buy another second. Of course, I didn't know Steve Jobs personally. I can't be sure whether he was like the rich guy in the story or, or not. But I knew, do know that the truth Jesus is communicating in this story was relevant for Steve Jobs and it's relevant for each and every one of us. And this is the truth. It's foolish to live your life focused on the temporary. It's foolish. That's who Jesus calls a fool. That's who God calls a fool. The one who invests their life focused on the temporary. And I'm telling you, this isn't just for people out there. This is for us. This isn't just for you. This is for me. It is so easy at any moment of any day for me to get lost and motivated by and compelled by and focused on and valuing the temporary. And that's when I make my worst choices. That's when I live the life of a fool. Another place Jesus taught in Mark 8, 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but lose their soul? And this, I believe, is the definition of our culture these days. I mean, we're investing ourselves in gaining the whole world. But in the process, we're forfeiting our soul. And Jesus in this story says, that's the behavior of a fool. Now, I think it's important to say right up front, this is not an indictment on money and wealth. This isn't, this isn't blasting people who have money and wealth. It's an indictment of, of those who make money and wealth the focus of their lives. 
You can be rich and focused on the right things or rich and focused on the wrong things. You can be poor and focused on money and wealth. In fact, quite frankly, many people who are poor think that will be the source of their happiness and it's not true. So in this story, Jesus gives us the characteristics we have to watch out for, the characteristics of moving to focus and value the wrong things, the characteristics, the warning signs that we're living the wrong kind of lives. And so let's look at what he says in this story. First thing he tells us is this man never focused beyond himself. So who's the fool? The person who never focused beyond themselves. This guy's favorite words, I don't know if you noticed it, they leap out at me when I read this thing. This guy's favorite words were, I, me, my, myself. Read through that story. That guy said, I, me, my, myself, more than, any, every sentence was loaded with me. And doesn't that remind you of our world? To be honest with you, it reminds me a little bit of me. He lived in a very small world where he was the only resident. He never, there's no mention in the story of God or others. What a small life. That's the life of the fool. James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So this guy, already rich guy with barns, got a motherload harvest. Where did that come from? Where did it come from? Thank you. <laughs> One person's right there with me. Um, it came from God. Because all good and perfect gifts come from above. Shouldn't this guy have said, I, why me? Why, God, why me? You know, we say why me when bad things happen. We don't say why me when good things happen. When good things happen, we're saying, of course. I deserve it. I never thought of God. God, why me? Why are you dumping this on me? What do you want me to do with it? How can I further your interests? How can I bring you pleasure? How can I help other people? How can I make the world a better place? How can I eliminate darkness and bring about light? He never asked that question. He said, more for me, more for me, more for me. And that's exactly how humanity seems to work by nature. The fool never focuses beyond themselves. Never says... God, why? What do you want? I, I look at all of church history, and I know most of you aren't into church history, but I'm a pastor, right? And since Jesus started the church after his death, burial, and resurrection, there have been millions of people called by God to do what I do, to be a pastor. But do you know how few of them ever, ever pastored a church that had the magnitude of impact on the number of people we have? Very few, very few. Can you imagine me going, you know, wow, God's lucky to have me. This is awesome. What can I do? I can plow down this building and build some bigger buildings. Man, why don't I do this? This is awesome. They should be celebrated. That's ridiculous. I have to ask myself this one question. Why me, God? Why Northridge, God? What do you really want us to do? How, what are you trying to accomplish in this world? Because only the fool doesn't focus beyond themselves. Do you? 
1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, but even with all these things, let's say we have everything that God can pour into our lives, but we do not have love, then we are nothing. We're the fool. Think about this. People who live for stuff can't live for others. And we're a world filled with fools, and very often we're playing the fool. Let's focus beyond ourselves. Jesus tells us another warning sign, another characteristic of the fool. This man never focused beyond the external. Everything was about the external. He focused only on his own superficial needs and his own superficial wants, but not on the more significant priorities of life. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? What's he saying? The external's not the priority. The internal's the priority. Then he says, verse 33, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, God's ways, and all these things will be given to you as well. The guy in this story was a fool because he was rich in what mattered least and poor in what mattered most. Just analyze the world. That's the problem with our world. They're rich in what matters least and poor in what matters most. But forget about the world for a minute because that lets you off the hook. What about you? What are the results of living like this guy? Never focusing beyond yourself, never... Never focusing on, on bigger things, the more important issues, on the internal stuff. Well, the results of living like the fool is that we experience emptiness rather than fullness. Isn't it weird? You can have everything the world offers and be empty. Isn't it interesting how some of the richest, most proper, prosperous, celebrated people on the planet are some of the most miserable, bizarre people on the planet Isn't it interesting people with everything take their life because they really have nothing being the fool leads to emptiness rather than fullness look at first peter 1:18 you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors jesus is saying the only thing we can inherit from our ancestors is more emptiness only god can give us redemption fullness of soul and that's what he said in John 10 10 I've come that they may have life and have it to the full and he's not talking about material things too many people are selling their soul to have what the world offers but they have nothing for their soul you know what the result of living like the fool is insignificance rather than significance but we were made for significance but you won't find it when you value the worthless Solomon was a king, and in his time, he was the wisest and richest and most powerful man on the planet. And he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. Look at what he says about himself. And he had everything. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was awesome. No, that's how we think, but that's not how it is. Everything was, say it, meaningless. Why do we live and dream and work and sweat and bleed for the thing that in the end always ends up meaningless? 
because we're wired up to be fools, but Jesus came to redeem us from it. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never meaningless. It's never chasing the wind. It's never vain. Do you know what the result in the fool's life is? Hopelessness rather than hope. Ephesians 2.12, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, you were without hope and without God in the world. When you have everything in the world, but you don't have the fullness of God, you are without hope. And the result of the fool's life is guilt rather than peace. Have you ever heard food called comfort food? I don't know how many of you like comfort food. I love comfort food. But isn't it interesting, you can eat all that comfort food and you're still not comfortable. In fact, here's what I do. I eat all that comfort food and I feel even more guilty than before I ate it. So I have to eat more comfort food so I can overcome the guilt and I, it keeps heaping up. This is how we live our lives. More and more guilt. The way to peace is not through acquisition of more stuff. The way to peace is by... Knowing Christ. Look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He should be our focus, our value. Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation, no guilt, no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, if I'm honest, there are a lot of times I carry shame and I carry guilt. Why? Because I'm focused on and valuing the wrong things. Are you? The rich man was externally rich, but internally bankrupt. And I fear that's the definition of what our culture's producing and what our world's producing and of many of our lives. I don't want to be externally rich and internally bankrupt. I would rather be externally bankrupt and internally rich, wouldn't you? So to, why don't we stop living like the fool then and start living like Jesus taught us as the wise people? Another thing Jesus tells us about the fool is that this man never focused beyond this world. All he had was this world. All of his thoughts, all of his plans, all of his values were invested in the moment, in the temporary, and Jesus called that foolish. If we want to avoid being the fool, we need to listen to Jesus. In this story, Jesus made it clear that the fool forgot about the nature of time. And I know you don't come to church. You don't get up, walk out in 18-degree weather, fight the snow, get in your car, warm it up. It's finally warm by the time you get here. Get out, walk 12 miles because our parking lots are so stinking big, and come into the church. You don't do that so someone can tell you, hey, you're going to die. I mean, that's really not why you came. I get it. But if you don't focus beyond the moment, if you don't remember the nature of time, you will waste the now and sacrifice the eternal. And that's exactly what people are doing. It's what the fool did. He forgot about the nature of time. It's very common for us. You know, the stats say, and I think they're conservative, 65 to 70% of all Americans have no will and have done no estate planning. What? Why, you're going to be the one person that doesn't die? Oh, I know, you want your stuff to go to probate, so your family has to go to war with the state over it? That's what you want. You want other people to decide what you have and do it? Because, no, we forget about the nature of time. 
we don't have as much as we think. James 4.14, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's the nature of time. I should live like today could be my last. Because it could be. Our church, look, we're not a perfect church. We have many flaws. The first flaw, the church actually lets me be their pastor, you know, those kind of things. But, but I, I need you to know that everything we do is an attempt to help us to remember not to be the fool. And uh, lately, you saw it in the Northridge News, we've been, we've been trying to, uh, you know, support different things like the foster care kids and these different things. We're, we're trying to do these different things. And one of the things that doesn't get much publicity is, is really relevant in this point. It's an estate planning ministry. We have found that so many people have forgotten about the nature of time. They haven't taken care of these things. And so we, as a church expense out so that we can give free ministry opportunities for people to figure out the whole estate planning thing so that their families don't have to be rocked by it so they can invest in the kingdom going forward and i just want you to know there's a the next workshop is coming on april 7th and you can see the links on your screen here but you should check it out because none of us are going to live forever and we should be prepared he forgot about the nature of time he also forgot about the reality of accountability Look at Hebrews 9.27, everyone must die once and after that be judged by God. There's a saying, it's not one of the more popular sayings, but it's a very important saying. The world is a bridge. The wise one will pass over it, but will not build his house on it. You don't build your house on the bridge. Well, this life is a bridge to eternity. This life is important and valuable, but it's only temporary. It's a bridge to eternity. So we should be investing our lives, building our house, so to speak, in eternity. Because here's the reality. No matter how long you live, the eternal side of your timeline is going to be the longest. Say you live to be 95. Great. How does 95 compare to eternity? Does it even register on the timeline? The most secure part of your life is going to be eternity. It's the one thing that can't be taken from you. This life can be, but not eternity if you have Jesus. It's going to be the most important part of your life, the eternal timeline. So if we're wise, we'll invest in that part of our lives. But we're not. We're living for the sliver of this moment and sacrificing eternity because we're more like the fool than we want to admit. But Jesus wants to make us wise. So, that's the story. And some of you right now are saying, I hate it. But until you face that reality and compare yourself to it, you'll never ever make the choice that turns you from the fool to the wise one. From the one that's selling their soul the one that's experiencing the fullness of God. So let's turn to that part, the application part, how we can benefit from the story, how we can go from the tension and the negativity of it to the positive. If we're going to avoid playing the fool ourselves, we need to focus beyond the temporary, 
by developing riches toward God. That's the whole thing. We need to develop riches toward God. And just so you know, that's what we're all dedicated to here. That's why I'm so proud that you're here, gathered online, taking moments to do this, because at least you're letting something seep into to help your soul be a little bit richer. We want you to be rich toward God. Jesus in Luke 12, 21, again, at the end of that story, says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So he turns the comparison to us. While there's nothing wrong with being financially wealthy, it doesn't provide the fullness we're looking for. It has nothing to do with eternity. It has nothing to do with whether we're rich toward God. So the question, I think, should be, what does it look like to be rich toward God? And can I tell you, not all of us can be rich. I'm going to tell you, all of us would like, you know why people play the lottery? <laughs> because it's like, maybe, 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 maybe. Maybe if you kept what you're spending on the lottery, you know. But we can't all be Bill Gates. We can't all be Mark Zuckerberg when it comes to financial wealth. We can't all be the Steve Jobs billionaires. We can't all be Elon Musk. We can't all be that. It's going to be very, very few. Always has been that way, always will be that way. Not all of us can be rich, but all of us can be rich toward God. Doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter where you're born, doesn't matter what country you're a citizen of, doesn't matter your education, doesn't matter your heritage, your ethnicity, doesn't matter how unfair the world's been to you or how fair the world's been to you. Every single one of us can be rich toward God. What does it look like? Yeah, you can clap at that. Sure, we can be rich toward God. But what does that look like? And then what I'm asking you to do is know what that looks like and then ask yourself, is that what I'm living for? If we're going to be rich toward God, it means that we need to be rich in faith. Faith needs to be the important part of our life. James 2.5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world, to yet still be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him, we have all the same access to becoming rich in faith. And that's the key. So how do we become rich in faith? Oh, I know. We have to be born to religious people. No. How do we become rich in faith? Oh, by giving life, by attending church, gold star. No. How do we become rich in faith? By coming to Northridge. Okay, that one, maybe. No, no. How do we become rich in faith? Two ways. First, you have to receive it. Did you know you can't develop your own faith? How, do, how does a human being with our limits develop a faith in a God with no limits? We can't even understand that. Someone asked me the question the other day. So does God know everything from beginning to end? How does God know everything from beginning to end? They don't pay me enough to know that answer. I don't know. And I don't have the capacity to believe in a being that much bigger than me. But he has the capacity to give me the faith to believe. We have to receive it. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What's the gift? Some people think it's saying salvation is the gift, and it is. Forgiveness, new life, being children of God, gift. Can't brag about it. God gives it to me. I can't do it. But that's not the only thing that's a gift. 
The faith part's a gift too. And I, he wants to give it to me. He wants to give it to you, but we have to receive it. Have you? I know some really smart, 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 smart people. But they're so smart, if they can't figure something out, they're not going to trust it. Well, good luck, because you're never going to lower God to the size of you being able to figure him out. But if you're humble and you ask him to give you the faith, you can receive it. Have you done it? I believe every single one of us right now is challenged by this because some of us look back and say, oh yeah, I received faith. Receiving faith is not just a past tense thing. There is a starting point, but if you're not receiving faith today, guess what? You're not living in faith today. This is why so many of our stories are about yesterday. Oh, I, I experienced God's promise once. Oh, I knew that once. I experienced that once. I did this once. I experienced forgiveness once. That's really great. But what about today? You see, we need to be receiving faith right now. So before I finish this talk, and there's not much left to the conversation, but before I finish it, I'm just going to invite you to spend a moment in prayer. Would you do that? Just kind of bow your head wherever you're at, online or in person, just bow your head and I want you to spend some time talking to God about your need for faith, where you are in the faith. But some of you are here and you've never ever received faith for the first time. And I'm going to encourage you to pray with me right now and just, not out loud, just take my words, make them yours. Just say, Jesus, in this moment, I'm acknowledging that I need you, but I have a hard time even believing in you. So I'm asking you to give me the capacity, the faith to believe. And trusting you for that, I'm going to take a step right now and confess my sin and my guilt and reach out to you and ask you to forgive me and to make me new. Help me to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, we'd love to give you a New Testament Bible and some next steps in your walk of faith, but we just need to know. So all you have to do, you can see it on the screen, send us a text, Northridge, to that number, and we'll send you a link, fill that thing out and get it back to us, and then we'll have the information to send you this stuff, okay? Let us know so we can celebrate with you. But once you've received faith, what do you need to do? You need to grow it. Too many people stay at the same size of faith their entire lifetime, which means they never grow. It's so sad. We're supposed to grow. Look at Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, how? By faith. Continue to live in him. How? By faith. And how do you do that? You have to allow your faith to become more rooted. You have to allow your faith to become more built up in him. You have to allow your faith to be strengthened so that you can be overflowing with thankfulness. Everything you're about should be growing faith. Why? Because it's the key to being rich toward God. I don't know many people, including myself, who can look another person in the eyeballs and say, I'm rich in faith. To be honest with you, I struggle with faith, which is why I have to keep receiving it and keep growing it by getting into his word on a daily basis, getting into his word. Are you rich in faith? If I'm going to be rich toward God, 
I need to be rich in faith, but I also then need that faith to motivate me to be rich in good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, faith is a gift of God, salvation is a gift of God, but then it says, once received, you become created in Christ Jesus to do good works. If you're going to be rich toward God, you have to be rich in good works. Would you be able to look someone in the eyes and say, me? I'm rich in good works, dude. No one compares. Really? And yet that's what it means to be rich toward God. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, talking about people of prosperity. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. There it is, good works. That's why be rich in good works and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's how you build your house in eternity, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, eternal life, serving God, serving others is how we become rich toward God. The fool served himself. Who are you serving? A great example, again, of our ministry here, that, that foster kid bag program that we're working on now. We don't want kids to feel like they're garbage in this world when they're taken out of homes and abused and given a black garbage bag. So we're, we're buying big, nice red bags with personal belongings in it. So these kids, when they're feeling like they are worthless, can be given something that makes them feel like somebody. Why? Because we want to serve others. It's just one way. It's not the only way. It's not the biggest way. And I'm so proud of so many of you. You've already flown by the goal. These bags are already being given out to these kids. But we've already had, if you can believe it, 1,200 bags that have been purchased to give to these kids. It's awesome. And I want to encourage you, we're only doing it one more week, I want to encourage you, do this one good work. Most of us can do that. You can still participate, you can see the text, the link on the screen. Here, if you're live here at Plymouth, just go into 16th Central, you'll see the bags and get to talk to people about it. It's great. We need to be rich in faith. We need to be rich in good deeds. And then we need to be rich in experiencing God's earthly promises. We need to be experiencing his promises. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 8. Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Are you experiencing God's promises these days? That's what it means to be rich. I'd rather experience the real promises of God in my life than to have the world celebrating me for the accomplishments of my life, wouldn't you? Then why don't we work for that? And finally, look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't build your treasures on the bridge where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy it, where thieves can't break in and steal. That's the secure part of your life. And then it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're going to be rich toward God, you need to be rich in experiencing God's eternal promises. And I believe right there, Jesus gave us the whole answer. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The fool's treasure is in the moment. The fool's treasure is Material, the fool's treasure is temporary. The fool's treasure is meaningless, which is why so many 
feel so meaningless. But the wise person's treasure and heart is focused on God and focused on eternity and focused on others. Where's your heart? This week, let's refuse to live like the rich fool. Let's, let's not value and focus on the wrong things. Let's not be rich in the world's eyes, but bankrupt toward God. Let's choose to flip it. Let's choose to be rich toward God, to live without regrets. Think about this. We're writing the story of our lives. It doesn't matter what you've written in the past. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so you could be redeemed and forgiven and your failure's not final. This week, let's flip the script and let's no longer make the choices of the fool. Let's make the choices of the wise person. And if we do, I promise you, if we do, this week we'll live without regrets. And next week we'll be back to go through another parable. So glad you came. I appreciate you so much. <laughs>